and welcome to this edition of EMS Now Up Close. I am Eric Miskell with EMS Now, and uh, I get to speak with David Schild of the PCBA again um, for an update. Uh, last time we spoke, David, um, I was heading to Europe and you were heading to Washington, D.C. So uh, you guys had your big annual meeting, but you also were, had a lot of meetings on uh, Capitol Hill and advocating for the industry. So why don't you give us an update? I think we both had productive trips. Uh, I was in Washington, D.C. in the sweltering heat of summer, but it's a hot issue, and that's why we were there. Our annual meeting really is a chance for our members to come together and do two things. Hear from the experts on the state of play regarding microelectronics policy and also lobby directly on behalf of our bill. So let me start with what we heard from the experts. We had officials from the Department of Defense, officials from the Department of Commerce, Capitol Hill staffers, representatives from the House, U.S. senators. And we heard a lot of the same things. The first is the experts understand there is a problem. Absolutely, there's a recognition that the contraction of microelectronics manufacturing in the United States over the last three decades is risky, it's unacceptable, and we have to do something about it. There was an understanding that the CHIPS Act, while very productive, while very important, is a down payment. Chips don't float is a key phrase that's starting to resonate inside the Beltway. And we heard that from some of the officials that we spoke with. They get now why it's dangerous, why it's not good for our economic security, for our national security to, to be dependent on any one foreign source for these boards that are in everything that make my, you know, the microelectronics that make modern life possible, right? We we can't have a foreign dependency. So that was great to hear that our message is starting to resonate and, and get through. You know, we also heard that it's a challenging time in Washington for spending. Right. And I think I owe it to your audience and to all of our members to play straight about the fact that while it was very uh, advantageous that the CHIPS Act passed and was well funded, that money is starting to be dispersed by Secretary Raimondo and her team. We do face an uphill slog right now with adding additional money to the federal budget. You've seen the defense process going right now, looking at billions and billions in cuts. You've seen fights over the debt ceiling. You've seen fights over the budget. And so, you know, while we're only asking for a relatively small amount of money compared to chips, $3 billion and a 25% tax credit, there is certainly a large political faction on the Hill that wants to, you know, count every dollar very carefully. And so on the one hand, folks see the merits of our argument, but they also understand the political reality that, you know, we're going to have to take away from some other account probably to add the money that, that we need. I think it's a convincing argument. I think it's an investment in long-term American productivity and economic security. As I mentioned, secure and resilient supply chains aren't going to happen for free. We've got to have policies and we've got to put our money where our mouth is. But, uh, you know, we heard about the, the uphill environment that lays ahead, and I don't think any of our folks were deterred. Good. <clears throat> yeah, no, I saw some good coverage coming out from the activities out there. Um, let me ask, I know that the initial efforts were all about education, right? You had to educate mm -hmm. what the industry is, what the impact is, you know, where it plays, how we've fallen from, what was it, 20-some percent of world production to, uh, to 4%. Um, it sounds like the education that in those initial efforts have bared fruit because now you have some legislation coming out of that. You're clearly bipartisan support too, and I think that's an important factor here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would say that the educate, advocate, legislate mission of the PCBAA is one that um, will lead to success. I'm not, I'm not skeptical of that. I, I think that the education part is not done. 
as thrilled as I am to have a Democrat, Anna Eshoo from California, and a Republican, Blake Moore from Utah, co-sponsoring the PCBs Act, and we're seeing co-sponsors now come in from both sides of the aisle, from states like New York, from states like Illinois, there is still a little bit of a hill to climb when it comes to the education part of this. When you walk in and you hold up a circuit board inside some of these offices, there's not that immediate flash of recognition saying, oh my gosh, this is what makes banking green technology, the space program, everything in our national defense, all the devices I carry around every day, PCBs make it possible. That's something you and I know. I don't think it's something every Hill staffer knows, every member of Congress knows. So we're going to keep educating. But Mm -hmm. the fact that we have a bill is tremendous progress. Uh, This is the second version. We made some improvements in the definition of PCBs. And of course, we expanded it to include substrates. You know, I don't want to leave out our friends and our members in the uh, advanced packaging and substrate space, because of course, it's a technology stack. Semiconductors mated with advanced packaging and IC substrates on top of next generation circuit boards. That's what produces all the technology we depend on. And so you said it. We used to make 30% of boards in America. It's down now to closer to 4%. We have about 1% of the substrate market here in America. We're almost entirely dependent on foreign work there. And of course, the chips folks, when they hit the panic button, when they said we need our $52 billion, they were at 13% of market share. So All of the components of the stack are in an unacceptably risky place, Mm -hmm. and we've got to fix every component so that it's an ecosystem approach and not one piece of technology. Yeah, and that's what I like is is as this advance and your initiative has grown, that the focus really is on that whole microelectronic supply chain rather than just, you know, the chip, like we said. Sure. A necessary first place, and I saw in one of your uh, your uh, the announcement that came out today, but with the three uh, takeaways from your meeting, it referenced that that initial fifty two billion allocated has led to more than four hundred billion in private investment. So it's clearly bared fruit, uh, and we're hoping that the same will happen with the P- PCBS. Right? I'm very confident. You know, I say that private money follows public action. When you see a demand signal initiated by the government, uh, why did $400 billion come off the sidelines for semiconductor factories in places like Texas, Arizona, Illinois, Ohio? Um, It's because people said, okay, the the biggest spender in the world, the biggest customer in the world, Uncle Sam, is going to step up, right? They see the leadership from the president and Secretary Raimondo. They see bipartisan support for this legislation. While we're only talking about $3 billion, I say only $3 billion, like I'm a real Washington insider, we understand that there are um, boards of directors, there are CEOs inside of the PCB industry right now waiting for that signal. They're going to get their money off the sidelines when the business case is there and when the demand signal is there. And that's why the commercial market is so critical to all of the defense national security applications. We're meeting the needs of the DOD, but just like uh, space launch, just like military engines. We've got to have a healthy commercial sector to support a healthy defense sector. That's where a demand signal comes in because think about it, Eric. If you're buying boards, a 25% tax credit makes American boards competitive right off the bat. And that is a reason for anybody, whether they're in West Chicago or suburban Phoenix, to say it's time to hire that next worker. It's time to start that next training program. It's time to break ground on that next facility. That demand signal is so powerful and it starts with government action. Yeah, and that's why I really liked what the what the act does Be, beyond the three billion, which you're right doesn't sound like that big when compared to the four hundred or or others. Is is that twenty five percent tax credit right? Because that really relies on that commercial demand signal 
uh, mm -hmm. to really send that market. So, you know, whoever thought that up was, I think was, was certainly, you know, brilliant in doing that because that really helped. I probably avoided some, some uh, resistance that you might've uh, received. Yeah. You look at the criticism of the chips act and, you know, people threw around terms like corporate welfare and bailout and certainly our members are not at the scale that some of the semiconductor companies are in terms of market capitalization or, or revenue, but our guys have been doing this for more than half a century here in the United States. They have faced a severe contraction, and yes, the immediate grants and funding that we would anticipate through the Department of Commerce or the Department of Defense, they would be put to use immediately for sure. What my guys and gals want to be able to say to their customers is – you're looking to reshore. I mean, what are you hearing out of Apple? What are you hearing out of Ford? What are you hearing out of the biggest companies in the world right now? We want to diversify our supply chains. We want to do more things in North America, closer to home, closer to our factories, closer to our customers. That's what a secure and resilient supply chain looks like. We're giving them the excuse. This tax credit solves for that problem. You want to do more in America? This is the tool that lets you do it. Mm -hmm. So where does it stand currently? Where is the PC? I mean, what is the current status? What's what's ahead? Sure. So what right now we're gathering co-sponsors. As I said, what we're doing every week is meeting with more and more members of the House of Representatives to ask them to sign on to our bill. It's been referred to several committees of jurisdiction, which will lead to hearings and testimony and study of the issue itself. And then we've got to figure out going forward if we can generate enough support for one of those committees to move it forward out towards you know an eventual floor vote, out, out towards eventual passage. I also shouldn't dismiss the importance of a Senate companion bill. You know, we've seen really good statements from folks like Senator Coons, Senator Young, Senator Cornyn, Senator Kelly, Senator Schumer about the importance of microelectronics, about the importance of reshoring, about the importance of American global competitiveness. What we need now is a Senate companion bill because, of course, we've got to move something out of the Senate mm -hmm. and out of the House before we could ever get it to the president's desk, before we could ever get it to become law. And all of this is to say, Eric, and I think it's important our audience hears this. This process is one that is months ahead of us, if not years. And I want to manage expectations, and I want to say that while I'm optimistic, I remind folks that it was probably 40 months from the time we started talking about a CHIPS bill to the time the CHIPS bill became enacted. If we could move a lot faster than that, I would be thrilled. But we have to build a base of support in both houses of Congress, and we've got to gain additional support from the administration. You're seeing very positive signals. Think about the invocation of the Defense Production Act in March. That's the president saying, I designate circuit boards and substrates as a critical national technology set. What a win. What a win for our industry to have that designation that you see for things like semiconductors, that you saw for things like ventilators during the pandemic. For the president to say, we have to have this. It's important to our national security. It's important to our economy. That's a huge win. We take the DPA. We throw some money at that through, I think, the Department of Defense appropriation process, and we keep chasing the elements of the Protecting Circuit Boards and Substrates Act as well. So you'll look to some committees like Energy and Commerce uh, for more action. Uh, you'll look to more co-sponsors on the floor. And you know, I anticipate soon we'll be back with you know some more exciting news about the bill. Okay. So help uh, a neophyte, uh, as far as Washington goes, like myself, understand what you just said there too. Are, is that... Are you talking then specifically, and I saw that where uh, the presidential determination came out, is that separate from the National Defense Authorization that yeah. was passed? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. You know, the, the, the Defense Production Act is essentially a hunting license. 
but now we've got to put bullets in the gun and go hunting. So what we've done with the DPA is we've cut a lot of red tape out of the system. We've eliminated a lot of the, the rules and strictures that exist for federal purchasing. Now we've got to fund that, right? The rules have been relaxed for us to move faster. What we are doing now jointly with IPC is asking for a $100 million addition to the appropriations bill for the Defense Department that the DOD could do, then go and spend on prototyping, research and development, emerging technologies. And of course, the Department of Defense is one of the biggest consumers of next generation boards. They go into every critical defense system you can think about. That's one pursuit. The $3 billion in the PCBs Act is separate. And I'm glad you brought up the National Defense Authorization Act because that's yet another separate legislative priority. That's a policy focus. And it's honestly, Eric, the reason that PCBA was founded back in 2021, we identified within the DOD supply chains a lot of commercial off-the-shelf technology in the microelectronic space coming onto critical systems that, in fact, did not have American-made printed circuit boards and substrates. We saw that. And, of course, there's this thing called ITAR that says if it's going to go on a weapons system, it's going to go on a defense system. we got to make it in America. we got to make it at a trusted factory. Well, you can kind of get under that fence, not that anyone's trying to do it, but almost by accident – when you look at this commercial off-the-shelf technology. So what we did inside the NDAA, and that's a policy bill. It tells the Pentagon how to operate and what to do. It doesn't give them any money. That's the defense appropriations bill. What we said inside the NDAA in 2021, in 2022, and now again in 2023, is that by 2027, we're giving them some time to get this done, you've got to have a process to secure and vouch for your microelectronic supply chain so that we know we're not looking at boards and substrates from some of these adversarial countries, making it on to the platforms, the products, the systems that our men and women in uniform depend on. There's a long time to get this done, but we have a keep sold fight. Every single year the NDAA moves, we've got to keep that language in there. So, you know, it's yet another legislative priority. And it kind of shows overall as we talk about these various um, policy initiatives. The government is touching our industry in so many places. There's so many different funding vehicles, so many different pieces of policy language, so many different initiatives to bring back American manufacturing that all have to sweep up printed circuit boards and substrates. There's no one single initiative we're chasing. It's it's a multitude. Okay. Wow. Um, I wanted to ask too, because as you know, I was just in Europe and uh, you know over there, and it's funny because the chips don't float resonates over there as well. I heard that at several venues being, you know, people mentioning that. So there's certainly that push for it as well. But I was asked uh, by one of the companies we met with, if, if they were building in the United States, would that 25% tax credit for the uh, PCBS uh, apply for them? It would. So many of our members, so many members of the industry are global companies. And whether you're headquartered in the United States or not, or you simply have like a North American subsidiary, if the work is done in the United States, the way the legislation is written now, the tax credit is applicable and you can certainly apply for the funding. And I think you're seeing any number of companies, maybe based overseas, looking at American manufacturing and American sites now as competitive, perhaps in a way that they weren't before. But yeah, this bill uh, does not make that distinction. There's any number of American headquartered companies that are going to be going after these funds. But if you're doing the work in America, on our shores, with our workers, that's the um, rebalancing that we're seeking. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be open to a lot of different organizations. 
Yeah, and that's interesting because I do know from having spent time with these companies, they are watching the initiatives and what's happening over here, and they do see that, and, and they're they're learning from that and borrowing from that to start to advocate. And I know the IPC is involved in that. Well, of they're going to mm-hmm. Brussels and advocating for similar type of, you know, they have their own chips act, but also for the PCB, they've gone where we're down to four, they dropped to 2%, right? Sure. So there's this big realization of the risk that's now inherent in that and saying, listen, we don't have a domestic supply chain that could build critical electronics, right? And, and that's a problem. It's a global problem, right? Because the the shrinkage that has occurred in Europe, in North America, um, it's equally problematic for all of these countries. And as you and I have talked about a couple of times, we're sort of rediscovering industrial policy, right? This isn't the first time any country has has done it, but we're rediscovering the value of it. And it's not as though we're using it to counter market forces. And I think this is important to understand. Every government for years has been sort of putting their hands on the scale, subsidizing labor, subsidizing construction, subsidizing land, um, favoring certain industries that they wanted to own, that they wanted to develop, technology sets that government said, it's important that we have a leading role here. I don't begrudge any government for doing that, but the US is not simply countering pure market forces. When you look at the concentrations of manufacturing around the world, a lot of it ties back to government action. And so for us and the Europeans, I think it's a little bit of catch up. Yeah. Definitely, definitely catch up. So tell me, um, I see a lot of uh, support coming to the PCBA. I see new, the updates on the companies that are joining. So you're Mm -hmm. obviously, the PCBA is growing its membership as well. Um, Companies, uh, individuals even who see this, how can they get involved? What do you suggest they do? I'm glad you I'm glad you asked that because it, while we have grown in size from you know five members to 33 members today, we're not nearly big enough. Um, we have some of the biggest board shops in the world. We have critical materials suppliers. We have assemblers, um, but we need more members. I think if you're out there right now and you're doing advanced packaging, you're w- wanting to build substrates in America, you are building boards in America, or you're supplying any of the critical materials that make that process possible. You should be on our team. The more people we have, the greater the political impact we have. This is going to come down to political impact. It's going to come down to members of Congress saying, this means something in my district. It means something in my state. So if you're making boards anywhere in America today or doing any of the things I talked about, I want to talk to you about the benefits of membership. The other thing I would say is this is a huge win for the purchasers. So upstream and downstream of the actual manufacturing process, the tax credit makes a difference. So if you're out there right now and you're buying a million dollars worth of boards every year or a hundred million dollars worth of boards or a billion dollars worth of boards, wouldn't you like to go to your CFO and say, guess what? We get a 25% credit on this particular purchase, this particular critical supply, right? Um, I want to talk to you as well, because I think you need to be on our squad and and sort of pushing that boulder uphill with us. Um, It's hard to say that this is a problem for dozens or even hundreds of companies, This is a passionate issue for thousands of organizations. So we've got a lot of room to grow. And I welcome the opportunity to tell anybody about what we're doing. And more importantly, have our own members tell you about the benefits of being on the team. Good, good, good. That's a good message. And we'll hope to promote that. Uh, Before I let you go, is there anything I should have asked you about today that I didn't, that you feel compelled that's important to get out there? No, I really appreciate you putting more light and and more heat on these issues. You know, you reach an important audience. And what I would say is 
you know, we've got to stay on top of this, right? There are a lot of things distracting us. We're going to be going into an election year next year. Um, but the co- I, I was just on a call, you know, an hour ago about the importance of reshoring and manufacturing generally. Uh, what are we going to do to secure supply chains? Uh, for some people, you know, the, the pandemic and the, the sort of um, empty store shelves that we have are, are becoming more of a distant memory. But mm-hmm. the issues of should we have a more diversified supply chain? Should we have a more secure and resilient supply chain? What do we do when some of our largest global competitors own large shares of critical markets? Those issues are not going away. Those issues are evergreen. I think you just open the newspaper, you listen to any podcast, and you see this this broader issue, right? This broader economic and geopolitical challenge, which of course we in the PCB industry are wrapped up in. So there's going to be no shortage of things to to talk about, and uh, fortunately, right now it's a it's a focus area for policymakers. You know, it's interesting the point you just made about the reshoring. Uh, one of the messages or, or themes that I brought back from Europe was around the reshoring, but they also said, you know, they're seeing a lot of it in RFQs right now. There's some success stories, but then they said, you know, if we had the full supply chain here, it would increase the reshoring that was happening. Right. So they mm-hmm. said. So not having these critical industries and the supply chain, you know, in Europe or probably even in North America is probably limiting the amount that people are willing to, to fully reshore. So, yeah, uh, you know, you've seen Secretary Raimondo talk about nodes, manufacturing nodes, and I liken it to what you saw in the automotive industry for so many years, right? When the uh, cars were being uh, assembled in Detroit, where were the wiper blades? Where were the tires? Where were the brake pads, right? They were all across Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. You did have manufacturing nodes. You had the supply chain close to the OEM source. We need that in Arizona. We need that in New York. We need that in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And there's a recognition that um, there's a snowball effect that goes on here, right? That more work and more factories beget more of the same. Uh, it's We're early in the process. It mm-hmm. seems like the wind is at our back. We got to keep it going. Yep. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, David, good update. Good work. Uh, I love hearing from what you're doing. Uh, Hopefully we do this again in the fall and get even more uh, exciting updates. And hopefully we can help uh, drive up some membership for you as well. I look forward to it. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, David. Take care.